Let's do look tonight at Revelation chapter 1. I want to talk to you tonight about John the Apostle, the human instrument that the Lord used to uh, bring this book down to us. We see a little bit about him in the first three verses of this book, and then I want us to jump down, if you would, to verse 9. So let's notice Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and then we'll drop down to verse 9. The revelation, or the unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and he signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. And then in verse 9, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. You know, the John that we see in the Gospels and the John that we see as we turn to the book of Revelation are really two different men. Now, they're the same person, but you have to understand that for one thing, there's a great age difference that took place between the Gospels and what we see in the book of Revelation. The John that we see in the Gospels was a young man. Some have even suggested that those disciples that Jesus began to call were teenagers, but they were young. And they were full of vigor. They were full of energy. They were full of life. We see that over and over again as, as they were fishing. Or when Jesus' resurrection took place, you remember John outran Peter to the tomb uh, to see uh, the empty tomb where Jesus lay. But when you come to the book of Revelation, 60 years have passed from the time of the Gospels under the time that, uh, that, that the writing that we have here and now by any stretch of the imagination, whether John was a young man in his teens or whether John was, was in his 20s or 30s, 60 years have passed and now John is an old man. Now I don't mean to be that derogatory because I'm getting there. But he was just no longer the young teenage boy that he used to be. And in those 60 years, there were some changes that took place in John's life. I mean, let's be honest. Those of us that are over 50... We're not the same person that we were when we were a teenager. Physically, that's true, isn't it? I can look at pictures of what I used to look like when I was a teenager, and like one of the young men came in one time and saw the picture of my, my wife and I at our wedding, and he looked at that, and he looked at me and said, Who did Becky marry the first time? Uh, you know, we change over a period of years, do we not? And not only do we change physically, but, most, but many times we change emotionally and we also change spiritually. And there were a lot of changes that took place in John's life. You remember that when Jesus called John, he called him a son of thunder. Here was a man that when Jesus called him that was very impatient with people and he was also a man of, of, of an extremely harsh temper. 
You remember on one occasion that when Jesus was going to go into a village of the Samaritans and they said, no, we don't want you here. John and James' brother looked over at Jesus and said, Jesus, do you want us to call fire out of heaven and destroy this bunch of heathens? They had so irritated them and angered them that as the response to their anger, they were going to destroy this village. And Jesus had to tell them, you don't know the spirit that you're of. The Son of Man did not come to destroy, but to save. Now Jesus took this man who was a son of thunder, a man who had a temper, and he turned him over the years into an apostle of love. When you began to look at 1 John over and over again, you see John writing about believers are to love one another, believers that have the love of God in their life, believers that show the love of God in their life. And, and through that period of time, from the time that God called him, even up into this time, God was moving in John's life. God was changing John into an apostle of love. Also during those 60-year period of, of his life, John had experienced in times of, of tremendous evangelism where he saw hundreds of people saved to the point that he was now persecuted. The reason that John was on the Isle of Patmos was because the Roman emperor didn't want to make a martyr out of him. All of the other apostles had already been martyred for the faith that already died for the faith, including Paul and Peter and all the rest of them. Only John was left. And as, at this moment of time, as an aged man, the Roman emperor decided, I'll just exile him to a little barren, rocky island that's known for mining, and hopefully under the hardship of all of that, he'll just die. John had known times of persecution as well as times of evangelism. And during those times of hardship, John's commitment and John's love for Jesus grew to the point that, that even though he was on the rocky isle of Patmos and even though he was being persecuted for the faith, do you know what he was doing on the Lord's day? You, you'll notice here in, in verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I was worshiping on the Lord's day. I was dumped out here on Patmos. The Roman emperor expects me to die. I'm kind of by myself and I'm kind of lonely, but praise God, Jesus is still here and I'm still going to worship. That's what he was doing. He never let the hardships of life crush the love that he had for Jesus. He never let the tribulation of life want him, cause him to give up. And as a result of that, God was able to use him to bring the revelation to us. This wonderful book, about how Jesus is unveiled as King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, in short, the time between his youth and his old age had simply been spent in growing spiritually. Now, folks, let's understand something. I believe that God wants all of us to grow spiritually from whatever time we are now to the time that we die. doesn't matter how old we are, we can still grow spiritually. It doesn't matter what we've been through in life. We can still grow spiritually. Because, folks, spiritually, we're either growing or we're growing backwards in the faith. Now, for some, even in church today, this, their spiritual life could be characterized by the term, I used to. How many folks do you know that used to? There, there are many people that would say, well, Brother Mike, I used to have a real sweet time with Jesus every day. I used to have a devotional life, but um, it, it's not just what it used to be. But I used to. There are a lot of people in life that, that, that say, well, Brother Mike, I used to have an outlook where I expected God to do great things in the church. I expected God to do great things in my life. I used to have that attitude, but I don't anymore. 
Then there's folks that say, well, I used to work in church. I used to teach a Sunday school class. I used to do this. I used to do that. And probably every one of us in here tonight know of folks that, we, that, that, that used to be very active in church, that used to be spiritual, that used to be excited about their faith, but they're not anymore. They just kind of stagnated in their faith and they fell by the wayside and died. And as I begin to think about used to's, Sometimes it's a false priority system that puts God down on the list that kills our spiritual growth. Now let's understand something about the Lord. Over and over in the scriptures, we find that God wants the first and the best of our life. Do you remember the Ten Commandments? The first of those commandments deal with our relationship with the Lord. Remember the Lord's Prayer? The first part of that deals with our relationship with God. Why do we worship on the first day of the week? God wants the first and the best from us. Why do we give of our, of our income on the first day of the week? God wants the first and the best of our lives. But folks, anytime we begin to have a priority system where God is anything less than first, your spiritual life will begin to stagnate and you'll become I used to. Did you know we prioritize our lives? What do we consider important? When I lived out in Louisiana, one of the things that those guys considered important, and I mean it was of utmost importance, was deer hunting. Don't walk into the woods in Louisiana during deer season without some orange on. You're liable to get shot. As a matter of fact, did you know our youth minister at our church had a deer stand up on the church property so he could sneak off from the office, get in the stand, and shoot at some deer? That, that, I mean, that was just, that was their priority. I understand in some cities in Louisiana, they, they had a, instead of a spring break, it was a deer hunting break where they let all the kids out of school for a week to go deer hunting. Now I look at y'all and y'all say, I don't understand that. Because that's not our priority out here, is it? Is it? But we may have a priority in some other area of life. And we make time for what we consider to be important, do we not? Hmm? For some folks, it's fishing. For some folks, it's motorcycle riding. For some folks, it's golf. For some ladies, it's shopping. Y'all are either dead or I'm not hitting home. I don't know which. But we make that time. And in our priority system, God is to be at the left top, top of the priority system. I, I think also something that can kind of refuse to, something that can kind of kill our spiritual growth is when we refuse to forgive somebody who ought to have known better. Uh, folks, there, one, one of the biggest problems in church is you began to go out and talk to people who used to be in church and they're not in church anymore. Well, so-and-so hurt my feelings and I'm not going back. So-and-so did this to me and I'm not going back. Listen to me, my dear friends. It doesn't matter what so-and-so has done to us. If you get in church very long, somebody's going to hurt your feelings because that's just people, isn't it? That's just life. That's true in your job. If you work with people in the job, somebody's going to hurt your feelings on the job. The only way not to get your feelings hurt is to not be around people, and then you'll hurt your own feelings. And that's why God calls us to forgive. There are a lot of I used to's that are no longer serving in churches today, that are no longer following the Lord because somebody hurt their feelings. And I think sometimes... If we expect God to just bless and reward us in this life for everything we do, 
we can get disappointed with God, and that can stagnate our spiritual growth. Folks, let's understand something. God has promised to reward us, amen, in eternity. Hasn't he? God has promised, and he has said in his word that, that he, is, he is not unfaithful to see what we do. And, and everything that we do for him, I believe God is going to come to the forefront and he is going to bless us and he is going to reward us, but that time comes in eternity. And sometimes we get a little frustrated with God and say, God, how come I'm not being rewarded now? How come that person out here that's living an awful life isn't being judged? Folks, listen, that comes in eternity. It doesn't come now. Now, if God blesses you now, praise God for it. Amen? Hmm? But don't expect it. Not till we get to glory. And we're going to see that later. This life, when, when Jesus called Paul, he said, I'm going to show you how much you must suffer for my name's sake. Now, I know there are a lot of used tos, but there are also spiritually growing believers around us. There are folks that are dealing with temptation and, and dealing with sin and that are they're overcoming it. There are folks that are growing in faith. They're doing things now that they never thought they'd ever do. Some of you are in here today and you never thought you would do some of the things that you've done in your life. How many of you are teaching Sunday school now and you said, well, I'd never do that. And now you are. How many of you ever went on visitation and, and you said, I'd never go out on visitation before, but now you are. Some of you are reading your Bible and understanding it for the first time in your life. So, boy, I never thought I'd understand that. But you are. See, that's what spiritual growth is all about. God taking us from where we're at and putting us somewhere where we never thought we'd be. That's growing spiritually. And there are those that, even in our church, that have been faithful, even though life has just bounced them around. And that was John. And as John begins to open this book, he gives us a description of himself. And let's notice that very briefly tonight. Notice, first of all, verse 9. He says, I, John, who also am your brother. Now, like all of us, John had to come to embrace Jesus as his Savior. We sometimes think there's a different plan of salvation for this person or that person. But, folks, there's only one way to heaven. God used the scriptures to bring John to see that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, you've got to keep in mind that in biblical times, they studied the scriptures far more than we do today. I mean, they studied the scriptures daily in those rabbinical schools. When, when kids were raised in Israel, part of their upbringing was to study the Bible. Now, we kicked the Bible out of the school years ago. But folks, I can remember as a little fourth grader, when my teacher at, at Burnett Elementary School in Odessa, Texas taught us the scriptures, every morning we would read the scripture. Every morning we would, we would have prayer in our school. And, and I know that people think that's, that, that's ungodly, but folks, as we were growing up in that school system, we didn't have some of the ungodly things going on today. And, and I didn't come from a church home, so that was my early education. It was in the school system. And then we got our little Gideon Bibles. How many of you got one of those little Gideon Bibles when you're about the fourth or fifth grade? And, and, and my friend right next to me, we decided that we would have a contest to see who could read through the New Testament first. And I lost. John was raised in that kind of error when he 
looked into the Word of God and he was raised on the Bible and he read Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and he read the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and Zechariah and Daniel. And so, so he had that scriptural knowledge within himself that when John the Baptist came along and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, John knew from the scripture and he knew from the testimony of John, Yes, this is the Messiah. This is the one I need as my Savior. And he embraced Jesus as his Lord. Now folks, listen. God's method of bringing people to Christ is to still use his people to share the word of God about the Son. And, and I know that we don't have the school systems to help us anymore. I understand that. But folks, we as God's people, if we don't know the scripture, how in the world can we expect lost folks to? Hmm? So we need to make it a point to know what the word has to say and then to share it with those that are in need. Folks, God hasn't called us to entertain lost people, but to share with them the life-changing method of Jesus Christ. That's what is needed today is for us to share the word. And those that are saved are born again into the family of God. Listen, did you know that we're here tonight, and I don't care what your last name is here. It may be Pace. It may be Shakespeare. It may be Sears. I mean, it may be Gibson. It may be Tyler. It, it may be Hansel. We all family. Because we were all born again by the same Holy Spirit into the family of God. And that's why God expects his church to be a family. We're to be a family. We may disagree from time to time, but we're to still love one another as a family. We are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And that's why John opens this book and says, I, John, your brother. Now, folks, when we get to heaven, we're going to find out a lot of family members there we didn't know we had. You ever been to a family reunion? How many of you were in a large family and the first time you went to a family reunion, you were just overwhelmed because you didn't know anyone? Hmm? I went to Becky's family reunion right before we got married and some of the folks at the family reunion said, if you get to meet all of us and still marry her, you're doing pretty good. I said, I'm not marrying you, I'm marrying her. I mean, <laughs> but when we get to heaven, we're going to find out that our family was worldwide. Our family was diverse because Jesus has saved those out of every tongue and every nation on earth. So John says, I'm your brother. Then notice what he also says here. He said, I am your companion. He was a partner sharing with them. Now, now John was a partner and shared with the believers of his day in their tribulation. Now, folks, we have to understand believers in John's day were undergoing intense persecution from the Roman government. Now, we don't understand that because we live in a nation, praise God, that, that we have the freedom to worship, do we not? And, and that is one of the freedoms that I believe that we're going to be held and accountable for when we get to glory because we really don't appreciate all that God's given us in this country with the freedom that we have to worship. Now, believers in John's day would lose their jobs if they, found, if they were found out that they were Christians. See, they had trade guilds in their day, kind of like the unions of our day. And if they found out you were a Christian, you couldn't be a part of that trade guild. And if you weren't a part of that trade guild, you couldn't get a job. They were discriminated against. 
not only would they lose their jobs, but in John's day and time, they, they would have their material wealth confiscated. In John's day, if you could prove that a man was a Christian, you got a tenth of his estate. Now, if 10 people showed up and proved that you were a Christian, guess what you had left? Nothing. I'd love for 10 people to come up and prove that I'm a Christian. They could get all my debt. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> but Christians often were poor because of that reason. They were also persecuted physically, as many of them were thrown into jail and beaten and imprisoned, and many of them even lost their lives because of their faith in Jesus Christ. It has been said even today that the floor of the Roman Colosseum is stained with the blood of believers who died for their faith. And the fact was that John was on Patmos, exiled because of his faith, and as he wrote, he said, Hey, fellas, I'm your companion. I'm suffering right along with you. I may not have lost my life yet, but I'm out here in this lonely island of Patmos, and they're hoping I die out here. I'm a companion with you in tribulation. I'm suffering with you. And when we face trial and heartache, we need to remember today, others have gone through what we're going through. And others are going to go, what we're go through, through what we're going through. We have companions in, late, in tribulation. John was also their companion in the patience of Jesus. Now the word patience here carries the idea of enduring. Now, now, what John was saying here is this. Fellas, I'm going through all this persecution, but I'm enduring. I'm making it through. And the God who allows the trial will also allow us the strength to endure the trial. And as he delivered others, he'll deliver us. Folks, the Christian life is, is a faith where we encourage others as we go through trial and heartache. And John was sharing here that he was a brother he was a companion in the trial, and he was enduring the trial. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you know of folks that are going through some hardship right now? Maybe it's a physical hardship. Maybe they're sick. Maybe it's a financial hardship. With gasoline at $3.41, uh, we, we all kind of enduring hardship, amen? Maybe it's a hardship, a family hardship. Maybe folks are having family problems. We are to come alongside of them as their companions in labor, encouraging them, putting our arm around them, just letting them know that we care. And then John finally shares his role in the kingdom. Notice he says here that he is a witness, a witness. In verse 2, he says, he bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Basically saying, I'm a witness of this. He was a witness of the word of God. Now, John knew that Jesus was the Messiah because Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures. And, and folks, as you began to go through the book of Revelation, you're going to see the Old Testament opened up in a way that you have never seen it before. This book is based, if you want to get a good Bible uh, knowledge of all of the Bible, just study the book of Revelation because you won't be able to understand it unless you have a good working knowledge of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And what John is saying, I'm bearing record of all of the Word of God. And folks, our faith is based on the Word. Baptists for years, you know what we've been called for years? Those folks are a people of the book. And that's a title we ought to wear proudly. 
We're a people of the book. We believe the book. And we ought to proclaim the book. And then John was testifying here about the testimony of Jesus. John was well able to write about the, 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 the ministry of Jesus because he was an eyewitness to it, wasn't he? Hmm? And, and, and as we read through the New Testament, as we read through the Gospels, especially the Gospel of John, it's, it's remarkable to see that the testimony that God gave John to give to us. And John wrote here of the vision that God gave him on Patmos, the revelation. He was faithful and true to write it. Now, John's call is our call today. We're to proclaim the essential truth that's found in the Word of God. And one of the things that we're to share is how that truth has impacted our lives. Now, folks, has the Bible impacted your life? If you're saved, it has, right? I mean, can you share how God has taken His Word and just and brought you to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? Folks, I can still remember being at 14 years of age and how God got a hold of my heart at youth camp and how he made me realize that I needed a Savior in Jesus and how I came to the point of just allowing him to save me as I called out unto him, prayed, and asked Jesus to forgive me and come into my heart. Listen, God never intended his word to be some academic study where we all get snoozed to death. He intended his word to be something that is applied personally to our lives where we can go out and be excited about that truth we've learned and share it with others. And maybe the reason why that we're not really doing a whole lot with, with others is we, we haven't been really excited about what God's doing. Yeah, I see it. I, but as we look at this, folks, growing believers live out the truth of the Word. Growing believers share the truth of the Word, and growing believers persevere when that truth brings trial. Now, folks, are we a growing believer? Are we living out the truth? Are we living by the principles of the Word? Are we sharing what we're learning as we, as we go in life? And are we persevering under trial? John did all of that, didn't he? Jesus was revealed, he lived it out. Jesus was revealed, he shared it. He was persecuted for the faith and he endured for 60 years long years and at the close of his life you know what John was still doing he is in the spirit on the Lord's day heaven church and as we're going to see later he is having a marvelous time God wants us to have a dynamic personal worship experience with Jesus